If you got your Bibles, you want to open up to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. We're going to be there in just a moment. Uh, we're going to talk about the Tower of Babel when we get to it. I'm going to do a little bit of a, a review that's uh, going to help us. I'm going to go through this kind of quick. You're going to have those in your notes. You can look at them, review them later. If you're watching some video, you can rewind it and, and listen to it. But I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on the review because we've got a lot to cover in the Tower of Babel. But we're going to kind of end, end a section of, of Genesis today. Genesis 1 through 11. It's one of the most curious parts of the Bible, actually. Uh, lot, lots of interesting stuff. So here we go. The, understanding this will help you a ton in your Bible story, in your Bible reading, Bible study. That the Bible is a unified story that ultimately leads us to Jesus. That it's, it's one story. That's important. Uh, it's, it's two testaments and comprised of a whole bunch of different stories and all kinds of input and things of that nature. Telling us all one story. It's all one story, right? So it's all pe- Now that's something you don't necessarily get out of sermons. Because sermons kind of take little parts of the story and they kind of make it its own little entity. You know, that's what sermons do. And that's, that's important for us to, to get application and things of that nature. Uh, but when you're studying the Bible to, to know what it is, you have to get in there and understand it's a story and begin to piece it all out. Now, this is the best way I, I knew to put it. I, I struggle with this particular sentence. We can say it a thousand different ways. But it's, it's a story of how God rescues humans from their relentless, futile pursuit of their own destructive desires. That's what this is. It's a, it's a, it's a record of salvation. It's a how God has saved all, all of humanity, how he's made opportunity for salvation uh, through Jesus. So um, now, here's a review, just over the, and, and adding some more of what we're going to cover today in the next few weeks. Remember this. I want you to, to kind of get this in your spirit. Remember it to where you know these first 11 chapters at least. Or you can give somebody an outline of the book of Genesis just with this idea here. Genesis 1 is the creation story, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2 is the Eden story. Okay, Go into a little bit more detail and we zoom into Eden and we get the story of Adam and Eve coming in there and, and what God does with them. And then Genesis 3 is the, the fall. It's the fallout, right? It's, it's, it's the failure, the failure story. Genesis 1, creation, 2, Eden, 3, fall. You know that, right? And then chapter 4 begins to talk to us about the first case study after Eden. After, after they've been removed from the garden, sin has come into the world. We've got the case study of this family, these, these two siblings, brothers, Cain and Abel. Right? Genesis 4 is Cain and Abel. And Genesis 5 is your favorite. It's your favorite stuff. It's a genealogy, right? <laughs> then 6 through 9, we've got the flood. That's Noah's flood, right? From Genesis 6 to 9, we, we spent a couple weeks on that. And then Genesis 10, we have another genealogy. We're going to look at, look at that tonight. And then Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. Now, there's some other things in these chapters besides these things, uh, but this kind of gives you an overview of where you, where you are. You can kind of get your handles on it, right? And then we got Genesis 12 through 50. There's a big, big swath right there of, of all these remaining chapters of the book of Genesis. It's God's chosen family. It begins to tell us the story. And you could easily outline the rest of the book of Genesis. You got the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Right? You kind of get to your bearings in the book of Genesis. So it starts with creation, and then it's going to end with Joseph. And then we go from the Joseph story. Joseph gets them into Egypt, and then the Pharaoh rises up. And then from the Joseph story, we go to the what story? What's the story after Joseph? It's the Exodus. Right? It's the Exodus, just so you kind of keep your bearings in, in the Bible. All right, so now, by now you should, you should see some storylines. And as you continue to read and study the Bible all the way into the New Testament as well, 
you're going to start seeing some storylines emerge, some patterns emerge. All right, so now I'm going to go through this real quickly, all right? So uh, we're not going to have much discussion on this, but listen to these things. They're going to resonate in your spirit. You're going to hear them. That God is good, that he's our creator. He's the source of all of life. And his word is the ultimate in wisdom and power. That is a major, major storyline. Here's another one. Humans are created by God and are called to be the image and likeness of God. We get our purpose out of all of that. And God blesses the humans. God blesses them. And God instructs them. He, he, he imparts wisdom and grace to them and gifts and all those kind of things. And humans are designed to walk with God. That's important, isn't it? We see that with Adam. Adam begins his life walking with God in the cool of the day. And then we see this idea about Seth and Seth's day that people begin to call on the name of the Lord. And then we see this guy named Enoch. And it says that Enoch walked with God. And, and then God took him. <laughs> God just said, Go, come home with me. All right. And then we see Noah as well. Noah walking with God. So that, that becomes a major theme. Then another idea is, is there's always a choice between two trees. That's, that's going to emerge or, or keep, keep recurring throughout the story. Choose this day, life or death. Joshua says that in another place, right? And then we got another idea. The tempter is, all, is present to lead us away from God. There's a snake in every garden. It's kind of what we said, right? And we, 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 we've learned, and you can learn just right here in Genesis, that there are evil spiritual forces at work against you to pull you away from God. We get that, that the serpent in the garden. That, that's, that's our introduction to that idea. And then in Genesis 6, we've got that, that crazy idea about the sons of God and the daughters of men and all the things that come out of that idea. But the story's telling us, it's putting the seeds in us to know that evil spiritual powers are at work. So when we get to Jesus, the Jesus story, guess what Jesus starts to deal with? He doesn't only just deal with the humans, the, the broken part of God's human family. He deals with the broken part of God's heavenly family. Remember? You know, you know what he does? I mean, he starts casting these demons out and talk, showing how, 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 how big of a problem they are in the world, right? Another idea, sin has devastating consequences, devastating consequences. From the loss of Eden and paradise and union with God to death, murder, all the things we begin to see, the devastating consequences and you name it, everything in between those things. It ultimately separates us from God. And then we get, get, get this Genesis 3.15, the promise of rescue. That's one of the most important verses in chapter 3. After the fall, God gives the promise of rescue. He talks about two kinds of people, right? Snake people, we kind of coined that term. You look in that verse, you're not going to see snake people in that deal, but you're going to see the seed of the serpent. That's what you're going to see. You've got snake people and you've got the woman's people. Okay, so we're going to have a lot of women's stories that pop up. And there are going to be a lot of women who have... A child. And there are going to be women like, like coming up in our next part of the story is Sarah. She's barren. She can't. And God will cause the woman to have a, a child, a, a seed. Right? So we, we see the same thing happening over and over throughout all the way to the ultimate where we see Mary, the woman, will have a seed. Right? You see, see what I'm talking about? I mean, these themes keep recurring. You keep seeing them over and over. So, so in this promise that God gives, he says that one is going to come and is going to crush the serpent's head. It's going to cost him his life, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. So we're looking for the snake crusher. That becomes a big part of the story. In fact, that's what everybody's looking for. Hey, we had hopes it was Noah. 
But next door, we find him naked drunk somewhere. That's not him. He ain't it. I'm serious. We see, you get hopes that it might be Abraham. God's going to use Abraham greatly, but then Abraham has all these problems and he's got a little problem about lying. He's got a little problem with Hagar. Ah, Abraham. Ah. We see David. It's not, not quite. And then Jesus steps on the scene. Hmm. We're looking for the snake crusher. So now, another theme is uh, sin is like a crouching beast. Where, where do we hear that story? That was Cain. That was a conversation with Cain, wasn't it? Sin is like a crouching beast waiting for you to play the fool so he can devour you. Hmm. Then we get the warning, the flood story, the Tower of Babel. We get the warning. Sin can get so bad in your life or in society that God must bring judgment. That's what we're hoping is not going to happen in our country. Hopefully we'll find a place of repentance so God doesn't have to bring judgment. But if you do not find a place of repentance, personally or as a nation or whatever, it might be a community, if you don't find a place of repentance, ask, ask Sodom and Gomorrah what might happen. Hmm. And we learn time and time again, you're going to learn this again tonight, time and time again, mankind has a fatal attraction to sin. Mankind, females, males, fatal attraction. Don't you see it keep recurring? I mean, after, after the, after the uh, exile of Eden, after you get kicked out of Eden. Really, Cain? Really? That's what you're going to do? You, you've seen what could happen. And then after Cain, now all this stuff happens to Cain. Then Lamech comes up and he, it is worse than Cain. And then you get the story of, of, of Noah. It gets worse than all of Cain and Lamech stuff. It's, it's covered the whole earth. And now we're getting this thing after the flood. Now we're going to get, again, just a few generations after the flood, after God sets, sets everything, resets it all, and wipes it all out. After that, you get the Tower of Babel. What's happening? What's the story telling us? That us humans have a fatal attraction to sin. Did you need a Bible to tell you that? <laughs> you need a mirror to tell you that. Don't you? Huh. And the last of it, I mean, this is certainly not the last, but, but this is so true and so, so good and so merciful. God is always at work to save those who will call upon him. God is always at work. Sin's there, but God's always at work. And wherever sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Paul said that in Romans 5. All right. All right. So now, let's get into Genesis 10. 10 and 11. All right, so what you're going to find, and I, I, I keep saying this over and over, you need to read. When I send you out those texts, if you're not on that text message thing, let me know. I'll put you on it. Uh, I just really do it on, on Saturdays and, and Wednesdays. Just let you know what to read, pretty much what that is, and if we have a church announcement or whatever. But I need you reading ahead. You, you just, it just helps you. It helps you just cultivate that ground. Get ready to come to Bible study. All right, Genesis 10 and 11. It's not in chronological order, all right? Genesis 10 is a genealogy of the three sons of Noah and what that's all about. And, now, and then, then it goes back from Genesis 11, it goes into a, like a flashback. You know how these movies do? They tell you part of the story and then they'll say, oh, six months ago. You know, that kind of thing. So Genesis 11 is kind of a flashback to this key story that happens with the Tower of Babel. All right, so now, what we have in Genesis 10 are some brief details about Noah's family and how they were fruitful and multiplied. That's kind of a biblical phrase, isn't it? To be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, that kind of thing. 
This is how they, and then they migrate to various territories. All right, I'll show you a map in just a moment. So we got Japheth, Ham, and Shem. It's kind of how it's laid out in the story. Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Now, these, things, these people become important. And if you read through chapter 10, now we're not going to read chapter 10. I'm going to spare you reading the genealogy, okay? I'm going to spare you. Bummer. Yeah, we can't pronounce half them words anyway, right? When I get to heaven, I, I can hear one of them guys going to say, how come you kept mispronouncing my name? I, I don't know. <laughs> you know. You know how that aggravates you. It's, it's Ron. I, I, go, I go to a place that I, I don't know if it's my enunciation or what. My accent, I don't have an accent. You know what I'm saying? But I don't know what it is. Every time I go, uh, your name, sir? Ron. Oh, oh, Rod. No, Ron. Oh, Rob. Uh, no, Ron. Oh, R. O N. I mean, I, have to, I do it all the time. I don't, did anybody else have this problem? I don't. Never mind. Just, just me. Just me. Just me. At work, I always whatever egg I'm on. Whatever egg. This is Paul. I say, Tom, is Paul around? I almost tell except the people that called me every day. Everybody called me did that. So now the, the, the genealogy sets us up. You got Japheth, Ham, and Sham. Sham is one of Abraham's ancestors. It is setting us up to show us the line to get us to Abraham. Now, in Genesis 10, it's called the Table of Nations. There are 70 nations that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, It's showing us the origins of some of the people groups of the ancient Near East. All right, Not all of them probably, but but some of the key ones. And you'll see some of these names. You'll recognize them if you read through it, if you know anything about the Bible and and the history of the Scriptures. Uh, So let's look at verse 1 and verse 32. Just so you get your bearings with it. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. This is how humanity propagates after the flood. Now, the last verse, well, well let, let's just scan through there. I, I won't belabor it too much. But you got sons of Japheth, you got Gomer and Magog. Oh, Magog, it shows up a little bit later. Uh, you got these... In verse 5, you got the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated in the lands. Uh, the sons of Ham were Cush, and we got Put. It's almost like Put right there, isn't it? <laughs> and we got Canaan. Canaan, oh, he's the son of Ham. What happened, what, what, what happened to him? What did Noah do to him? He cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. Remember that? And now Canaan, remember? I'm camping, I'm camping in Canaan's happy land. That, that was another word for the Holy Land, for, for Israel, Canaan. That, that, so that's where he settled. He settled in that place we now call Israel, all right, just so you know, all right? Uh, you got the sons of Cush. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up Nimrod in just a moment. Ah, you see now the Syria, there's a Nineveh. You begin to see these things, all right? You got the Jebusites right there, the Hivites, um, all the ites kind of thing. Let's go to the last verse. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. All right, just, just so you know. Now, here, here's, here's a neat, neat picture. You got a map there. I don't know how it printed out on your, your sheet, but you see it right there. You kind of see a visual. It, there, some Bible nerd took your time and went and laid all this out. Thank God for these Bible nerds. They just really help us a ton. You know what I'm talking about? Because uh, I wouldn't even have to know how to do all that. But this is kind of showing you. The, the, the sentence of Ham there in the green, the Shem uh, folks are right there in the, in the yellow. 
and then Japheth all up in that um, coming all the way stretching from Iraq all the way into Turkey and Europe and all that kind of thing scattered abroad all right you see all that right there mm-hmm all right so now the table of nations Genesis 10 25 there's, there's an interesting detail that's given right here it says to Eber were born two sons the name of one was Peleg for in his days the earth was divided huh how about that Peleg his name means division so, so what, whatever happened, his daddy said, I'm, I'm going to name you after what just happened. I'm going to name you division. So what happened during his lifetime? There's two schools of thought, and I'm, I'm going to tell you which one I lean into. Um, some think that this is where the continents were divided, and I thought that for, for a long time and, and may have talked that to some of y'all. I know Janice and I talked about it. Paul and I talked about it. Uh, some think that this is when the continents divided, you know, all the... the what do they call it, plate shifting and all that kind of thing. If you look at a map like that right there, you can kind of see how, how they all kind of fit together. At one time, there was all one landmass. It's kind of, you learned that early in, in school, right? That Europe and Africa and all the United States all kind of tucked in together, and then it divided, all right? Now, that's not likely that that's what happened in Peleg's day, okay? Because that kind of seismic activity, what would that do to all of human life? It'd be destroyed, without a doubt. I mean, it, there'd be tsunamis everywhere. Likely, that continent divide, dividing like that happened during the flood. That's, that's highly likely. It happened during the flood, because water can tear apart land, for sure. You know, and that's what happened. Now, this is likely, th- this is just a conclusion I've come to, after studying it and putting more time into it than what I did before conversations, that the earth was divided simply means this was a reference of what happened at Babel. In Peleg's day, Babel happened, okay? The Tower of Babel we're going to talk about in chapter 11 happened. The language is divided, people scattered, all right? Now, another idea, another, you need to read these genealogies, even if you just kind of glance through them, because there's some, there's some nuggets in here. We run into a guy named Nimrod. Anybody ever heard of Nimrod? It's kind of one of those notorious names in Scripture. You know, you, I mean, you'd never name your daughter Jezebel. You'd, you wouldn't name your son Judas. Nimrod's kind of one of those names, Although I did meet a guy named Nimrod. I mean, I, he, he said, uh, I'm, I'm Nimrod such and such. And I, I was like, what? what? Uh, you, <laughs> Lord, y'all didn't ever go to church. I'll take, take it. But anyway, Nimrod. His name means we will rebel. His name means rebellion. All right. So now let's go back and read some of that. His name means rebellion. Go back to verse 8 through 11. Nimrod. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Some translations say against the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Kalni in the land of Shinar. Shinar, oh, that's going to pop up. Hmm. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, and Kala. Nineveh, what? we got a story about Nineveh? That's the Jonah story, right? That's the Jonah story. All right, so, so what, what do we learn about Nimrod? Let's, let's just pick him apart just real quick. He's a mighty warrior, mighty hunter. 
A gibor is the Hebrew word. The word's used in Genesis 6, 4. It's used in several other places as well. But it's, it's used in Genesis 6, 4 of the offspring of the sons of God and daughters of men. There's all kinds of legend that Nimrod may have been like one of those giant kind of figures. That kind of a guy. All right. Now, did you see that Nimrod founded Babel? You know it as Babylon. He was the founder of Babylon in the land of Shinar. Right? He was also the founder. He built the city of Nineveh, which became the capital of the Assyrian nation, of the Assyrian people. Okay. So he's some kind of powerful man who, who's going to lead a worldwide rebellion against God. So he, he's, he's not just somebody to be trifled with. This, this dude's something else. He's some kind of mighty warrior, mighty hunter. Okay, now that's how I, the men of old got their credence or got their prestige or got their, their acclaim is that they were strong in battle and that they had heads of big game hanging on their wall. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> so this is Nimrod, right? Now, what about Nimrod? Now, if you know anything about your Bible, what do you know about Babylon and Assyria? They are the worst enemies of the people of God, right? All right, so now, let's go, let's go into Genesis 11, 1 through 9. I'll come back to that screen in just a moment. Now, let's go over to see what happens in Babel, okay? This is where Nimrod is in charge. He's the, he's the man. He's the founder. He's the president. He's the king, Okay? The Bible doesn't say all that, it just kind of suggests it. The whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there, got, found some good land there, good fertile land. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come. Let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over, from over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. They'll pick the project up later, but right then it stopped. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. It's an interesting story, huh? Let's see what, what we got here. All right, so now we're in Babel. It's the location of the land of Shinar. All right, if we were to go back to our map, let's go back to our map over there, if I can get, get back over there. The land of Shinar. You got it right in this area right here. There's the Euphrates River, Tigris and Euphrates River. Shinar is in this general area right there. What do we know about that land? Now, see, you learned this in high school. You learned this in history class. You slipped through it, but you were supposed to learn this, is what I should say. That Shinar, that area, is known as the Fertile Crescent. 
You've heard of that, that idea? It's, it's some of the most prosperous, best farmland in the whole world, right? It's, the, it's called, also called Mesopotamia, which means the land between the rivers, right? Between the Tigris and Euphrates right there, all right? It's in that general area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, this is what we see as the beginnings of the Babylonian Empire. And again, if you know your Bible, you know that Babylon is a problem. In fact, when this, the, the Bible is being compiled together as like one book, they are in the land of Babylon, actually then, that, during the exile, is when all this was kind of brought together for us to have as one text. All right? So now, Babylon in the scripture, Babylon, and he's also Syria, we said that before. Babylon in the scripture is like the anti-city. It's like the antithesis of Eden. It's like the antithesis of Jerusalem, which is the, the city of God. We could say Babylon is like the city of man. Okay, and if you read the book of Revelation, what it, 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 it draws this correlation that at the end, God brings the new Jerusalem. But in the process, Babylon begins to war against God and all of his people. So Babylon is seen as this, this, this power power structure, power city, or this, this idea. Babylon's really an idea. It's an idea that man is going to do his own thing. All right? So now this is where it starts. Okay? This is where it starts. All right, now, are they intelligent people? Well, ain't no doubt. I mean, they're building a city. So we, we got some, what do they do with all their skill, intelligence, and resources? What are they going to do with all of that? They got some new technology they developed. Okay? What's that technology? Well, it's bricks. It's not just mud bricks, it's fired bricks. They, they figured this out way early in human history. This, this mud bricks. See, over in Israel and some of that land, and maybe even a little further east, or excuse me, a little further west, you, you, they, they built with rocks. Okay? But in this particular land, they don't have rocks. They, they got mud. They got sand. They got dirt. They got all that kind of stuff. So they learned to take bricks, and you think what you can do with a brick. Now, stones, you're limited, and you can still go up pretty high with a stone, but you're kind of limited because shape and, and, and structure. But, but think if you could get and, and make a manufactured stone, and you could make it strong, maybe even stronger than some rocks, and you could fire it, and you could make them all the same shape, and all the same size, and just think of all the designs you could make, and that's what they built. That's how Babylon's built. Okay. Now, later on, Babylon will become one of the great wonders of the world as far as man-made type stuff. You know, who, who becomes like their king? Who's one of their famous kings? What do we know about him? Who is that guy? Who's one of their famous kings that come up later in the Bible story? Dur- during the time of Daniel, who is that guy? Nebuchadnezzar, right? Over Babylon, right? So now that they not only figure out that you could take bricks and you can make them and fire them, make them real strong, but they come up with this idea of tar. Maybe they discovered it or maybe they've got some kind of concoction. They, they found this asphalt type tar and you could glue these stones together and you could go, whew, you can go way high with them, right? Not much has changed really, you know? And they use this new technology to build a city. Well, why? Well, they tell us. We want to build a city because we don't want to be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. We want to come together. We don't want to be scattered around. All right? That don't sound like, seem like a detail unless you know this point. Who told them 
to be fruitful and multiply and spread out and fill the whole earth. Who told him that? God. So little details like this is telling us that they are they're pushing against the plan. Pushing it, right? Okay. So God told them to spread out. They said, no, nah, we, we, we like it here. <laughs> we're going to stay right here. And we're going to all collect together. All right, so now. They build a tower. So let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let's, let's see about the tower. Now, what, what's the motivation? We just read it. What's the motivation? Let us make a name for ourselves. Now, when you, re- when you re- just read that, just without any deep thought, or how, how does that kind of strike you? They said, I tell you what, we're going to do something that is going to make a name for ourselves. What, what's that? Ooh, it kind of sounds like, it reeks of pride, doesn't it? Hmm. Just reeks of pride, doesn't it? It reeks of self-exaltation. It reeks of being your own God, like what you're talking about. Hmm. So now here we have the image bearers. Those who are to bear the image and likeness of God, now they want to do their own thing. Does that sound familiar? It's one of those reoccurring things that happens throughout all of human life, right? Now, the Tower of Babel. It says this about it. Whose top is in the heavens. We want to build a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now, it's probably the biggest structure that humanity's ever known to this particular point. Later on, you'll have the pyramids and things like that that the Egyptians do. But to this particular point, it was, it was a massive, brilliant type structure. If, if we're looking at it from a human standpoint. Now, whose top is in the heavens? I, I don't think it's just referring to height as much as just referring to a function. Something that's happening here. Uh, this is a place where the gods can come and meet with them. Reaching the heaven. Who lives in the heavens? Well, God, or, or in heathen's case, the gods. They live in the heavens. So we're going to build us a, a man-made temple where heaven and earth come back and join back together. Okay. So they're in a plain. I mean, it's in a, it's in a valley. It's in a very fertile valley type area. Not a bunch of high hills. Because later on we find people in mountains, they go to what's called the high places. Remember that? The high places. That shows up in a lot of places. In, in Israel, they would... If, if they were going to build a pagan temple or, or build an altar, they would find a high place. Well, there's no high place in this valley, so what'd they do? They build them a, they build them a, a temple that's kind of like a man-made mountain. All right? And it's going to join heaven and earth. Now, here is, here is an artist's rendition of what that possibly looked like. We don't have the architect signed draft on this, okay? This is just an archaeological idea of what they found some things in that area of footprints in ancient Babylon. This is what's called a ziggurat. You've probably heard that terminology before, ziggurat. It's just a, a temple that you can navigate around, and right up there is where the image of the God lives. See, see it's kind of like a temple structure. Well, if you go into any kind of Mayan culture or any kind of Egyptian culture, what do you see? You see something like that. What are they? They're places where they can go and either meet the gods, meet on behalf of the gods or appease the gods, right? That's what this is, the Tower of Babel. It's a temple, it's a high place, it's a place of worship. It's a temple complex, basically. Now, uh, the, the width of it's a little bit bigger than a football field. It's big. It's, it, it's 
it's not a small structure. Okay, it's not like our church. It would be from here to there. I mean, it would be our whole property, basically. Okay, and if you've ever been, I mean, we, we went to uh, Mexico on our honeymoon, and we, we climbed some of those temples. They are pretty massive. It's pretty neat. Anybody ever seen some of that in person? It's pretty neat. I got pictures of, of us on, on one of them. So now, that, that's possibly, and, and just look at the size and the scale. The, these little black dots you see right here, those are people, just to kind of give you some kind of perspective. Scale. This is not a small thing, okay? And this is scaled off of an of, of a archaeological footprint that they found in ancient Babylon, okay? Now, that, I'm not saying they found the Tower of Babel, because ancient cultures have always built these kind of things, okay? But they found a temple-like structure there, and that's what this is cued off of, right? All right? So, now, do you see the problem? Here we go. Under Nimrod's leadership, under the rebel, or the one who is, his banner is, we will rebel. Under his leadership, people are trying to recapture an Eden-like existence where heaven and earth are together, right? It's a utopian vision to unite heaven and earth without God's involvement. We're going to do this ourselves. Do you see the problem? Hmm. So it's, it's, it's basically, in that known world, it's a global initiative with one leader, one language, one people, one idea, one government. United. Does that sound like a drumbeat we're hearing yes. over and over and over today? We're hearing this same drumbeat. It's called globalism. That's what, that's what people have been voting for. That's what they just voted for last night. You know? And guess where it's going to end? It don't end well. Okay? So you see, the problem it's not that they want to make great achievements. The problem is that they're going to do it without God. The, the, see, in our country, the problem is not that people want to fix the environment. It's that they want to fix the environment. <laughs> see, the planet and all this stuff is, is under our care, but it don't belong to us. Uh, it's, it's not ours. And for us to do all this, for us to try to govern ourselves, for us to try to manage our money, to us to even try to raise our families without God's involvement, is, it's a fool's errand. That's one of the things we learn about Babylon. That you can do the greatest of things and human, humanly possible. You can do the greatest of things. But if God's... If, ah, one prophet, just come to mind. One prophet said this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it labor in vain. And we can say, like, unless the Lord builds your life, whatever you build, it, it, it's just going to be gone. You see what I'm saying? All right, so now, God's response. All right, we've got a few more minutes. God's response. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, this is some biblical sarcasm now, because, see, this is the greatest thing that they've ever seen or done, and they do it all collectively. I mean, you can imagine building some kind of structure like that. that that's quite a project. That doesn't just happen over a weekend. That's not a DIY Oh, weekend project. That's a serious, taking years and skill and labor and engineering. That's, that's a pretty big deal. All right? 
And it's to them, they're like, they're so proud of it. And, and, and it says that their, their objective is, is that it reaches up to the heavens. And now here's a little biblical sarcasm. God's like, it didn't come all the way up here, guys. I, 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 I've got to come down. You see what I'm talking about? This, there's, no, there's no doubt that this is biblical humor that's being told. So God had to come down to see, uh, uh, because, you know, y'all been going on and on about this, and y'all said it's such a big deal, you can't miss it. God said, well, I, I didn't even see it. I got to come down there so I can see it. You see. And the Lord said this about this tower. Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. This is what they've done with their skill, their resources, their intelligence, their wisdom, and their cooperation together, their unity. This is what they've done. And he says this, now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. In other words, there ain't no telling where this is going after this. Now here's, here's my interpretation that God is suggesting this. If I don't do something, they're going to destroy themselves. If I let this go, they're going to destroy themselves. Hmm. So God says this. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language. That they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. This is the origin of languages. You know, language is a fascinating thing, isn't it? Anybody ever tried to learn a, another language? I'm not talking about take Spanish in high school. You, you didn't even do that, you know. You, you cheated. You just cheated. Anybody ever tried another language? I have. I've, I've taken some Spanish and poquito. I, I learned enough to get around when I was in Honduras, you know, just a little poquito. Uh, but I, I did, I, I seriously, because I've, I've spent some time in Turkey and I still got it in my heart. And the Lord knows I'm going back there before too long. Uh, to, to help reach the Turkish people. My, my brother, is, is, he's Turkish. He's a guy I met several years ago. Um, he lives here in America now, but he's Turkish. And I tried my hand at learning Turkish. I mean, I took a couple years to do it. And I'm, I couldn't, it would not click. It would not click. It's, it's such a different language. But this is the origin of language. Language is fascinating. How did that start? How in the world? I mean, if you ever do some world traveling, it's It's amazing. Because it's, it's weird, because when you get around people with, from other languages, you know what you, if you can't speak the language, you know what you do? You just talk loud. <laughs> I, I, I was with a friend of mine, Brother Brian, in, in, uh, in Honduras, and, and he was in charge of, of helping these folks put some, some chimneys in their houses, and, and we were putting mud floors in, in, their, in their dwellings and kind of making them like these bricks kind of thing. Um, and he couldn't speak the language. And he was in charge of a crew of, of about six or eight Hondurans that were helping him out. And he was over there and he's like, take this and, and put this in the wheelbarrow and do this over here. And he stopped. And I walked up to him and said, Mr. Brian, how come you're talking so loud? We can hear you way over there. Is everything all right? He said, yeah, I'm talking so loud because they can't understand me. <laughs> it was just hilarious. He just started laughing. Cutting up. Yeah, exactly. And then when you come home after being in a foreign country, you still talk funny and you have an accent, a different kind of dialect. It's just crazy how it happens to you anyway. Uh, but uh, this is the origin of language. Fascinating thing. Where did it come from? Where did all that come from? Here. 
Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Hmm. Any questions before we get into this? I'm doing good. So now, I, I, we don't have time to, to teach it, but if I was preaching, what's that? <laughs> if, if, uh, if I was preaching this, what I would do is I would say, okay, Babel is where it all got confused and everybody got dispersed. But guess what happened at Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, all these people from all these other different countries, they heard people speaking the same language and they understood them. So what Pentecost, like reversed, is the reverse of what happened at Babel. Holy yeah, Holy Spirit came and did that. Which is signifying that God's wanting to bring his people back together. The praises of God coming out of their lips. And so, Anyway. All right. The Tower of Babel. It's an interesting story. Now, I, I want to give you Moses' commentary on the Tower of Babel. Because it's very, very interesting what Moses says about all this. Okay. Deuteronomy 32, verses 7 through 9. This is Moses' comments about the Tower of Babel now. Okay. It says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, in other words, God separated himself from the nations. When he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, we've had some updated understanding of what that, that language right there, it literally is translated the sons of God. Okay. Dead Sea Scrolls kind of help us out on that with the Septuagint version of it all. Because God didn't divide everything before Israel at that particular time. He divided it among the sons of God. Now, who were the sons of God? Hmm. Those were those dark spiritual beings that we come in contact with. All right. Now, I'm, I'm going to explain this. So, in the time of the Tower of Babel, God divided the nations. Well, he scattered them, right? He divided them according to what? According to their tongue, according to their language that they speak. Because see, this is where we as Christians got to understand nationality is not based on skin color. We're having this debate this in our day and age. Nationality is not based on skin color. Guess what nationality is based on? Language. Speech. Language, right? So now, God basically at the Tower of Babel, he said, I'm done with you. I'm done with the nations. I am done with it. I've been over backwards and he drops the gavel and they all run like ants. That's what happens. Okay. God separates himself from the nations. Okay. Now you'll see that separation coming up. They're called heathens. They're called the nations. They're called Gentiles. That's who he's talking about, that, that all of those folks, other than Israel, all right? So he separates them according to the boundaries of the peoples, according to the number of the sons of God. Who were those sons of God? Those were those, those deities that they were building the tower to, trying to worship. Okay, so now, what, what happens here, God gives the people over to their desire. This is not God's will, necessarily. This is not God, what God, let's say it like this, this is not what God wants for them. This is what they've chosen. And God gives them over to their desire and allows them to worship other gods. And these spiritual beings become their principalities and powers over these nations. 
So what you not only have is not only a separation of language, you've got a separation of religion. And these people go to various parts and they worship other gods. And that's not hard for you to understand. That's what that's reality in the world. Okay. So when Paul comes in and he's going to all these Gentile places, he's going all over the place. And he comes in Ephesians six and he says, hey, you know what? We're not fighting with each other. We're not enemies. Well, I'll tell you what our, who our enemy is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. What's he talking about? He's talking about these entities right here. Later, I don't, we'll have to unpack all that later. But basically God turns them over to what they want. They get the God of their choice. And God will rule these, God will allow these spiritual beings to rule over these territories because that's what the people want. Hmm. Does he still do that? Yep. You can come out from among them and be separate if you want to and serve the one true God. But if you want, you, you go to any country, I've been to a bunch of them, you go to any country and you can, I, I promise you there's a principality that controls the people, controls their religion. And there are very few countries in this world that serve the one true God. You understand what I'm talking about? That began to happen right here. All right. Now what God does, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. So God says, all right, I'm separate from y'all. So it's another judgment, really. Basically, the flood story was a judgment. Right? The kicking out of Eden was a judgment. Babel's a judgment. It's another one of these cataclysmic judgments that happen on the earth. All right? And God says, y'all can have each other and y'all can have the gods that y'all want. I'm done with you. But I'll take, I'll take Israel. They're my family. And guess what? From here, all these strange stories of Genesis 1 through 11... They begin to take a shift, and now God will begin to work exclusively with Abraham's family. Now, there will be some Gentiles that come in, because the door's still open, but they just, they're under a different control. Now God will begin to work with Israel. So the next story we'll get to, it'll be a couple weeks now, but the next story we'll get to will be the story of Abraham. And guess who Abraham is? Well, Abraham's a Babylonian. He lives in the land of right there at Shinar, in the land, a place called Ur that's just south of where we saw Shinar. A little place. He's a Babylonian pagan. Jewish tradition tells us that his daddy was an idol maker. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but that's just tradition. That's not necessarily history, but they, they say he was an idol maker. But they were idol worshipers. They were Babylonians. And God calls this Babylonian man to be the first Hebrew. To be his, his, his family. Hmm. Now why did God choose them? Well it wasn't because they were the most special. It wasn't because they were the most intelligent. God tells them this later. It wasn't because you're the greatest. It's just because I simply loved you. And I had mercy on you. You see what I'm talking about? Now I have thrown a lot at you tonight. <laughs> Nor are your heads going. <laughs> all all kind of crazy. All right. But what we're seeing is the patterns that's getting laid out for the rest of human history. All right. Any questions, comments about the Tower of Babel?
and all the stuff we just talked about. Well, like that sector, you know, people got to the point like before the flood that God promised He would never just wipe them out like that before. You know, he's probably thinking, well, I should have thought before I said that. And <laughs> so instead of that, but he, he knows people. He knows people much better than But see, he, but see, God won't, there's one thing that God will not violate, and that's free will. That's right. Because he really loves us. Mm-hmm. And love will not manipulate. Mm-hmm. Love wants what's best for the other person. Because see, manipulation is to get you twisted around or maneuvered to where you do what I want. Love says I want what's best for you. But God won't violate free will. He just will not do it. He will not do it. He wants that kind of love returned back to him too. Right? And we're going to find out that God's chosen people, they're going to have a hard time following God. They, their story's not pristine like they're the shining stars. And I mean, some of these folks... You get the Jacob story? Jacob's a character now. You see what I'm talking about? But God makes a covenant with this family that they're going to be the ones that bring the snake crusher. They're going to be the ones. The snake crusher is going to come through Abraham. Hmm. Now, what I want you to, to, to think about now is just some of the things I've just said. If, if you study Paul, the things I just read there in Deuteronomy and the things I talk about with Abraham... Uh, Paul will make a lot of sense to you. You know, why does he go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile? Why does he do that? Well, he's honoring this whole makeup right here. You know, I don't know. You good? I have thrown a lot at you. Let's pray. Hello, we need to understand your word more and more. Uh, just help us, Lord. We're just all at different stages and different levels of growth and understanding in our our knowledge of the scriptures and we just need your help holy spirit no matter where we are with it all uh, there's room for all of us to grow we just need your help so just bring clarity to us lord and i, I just pray that we would be the kind of people lord who would follow you we, we're not trying to build our own towers we're not trying to build our own way we're not trying to go our own way we we have found that you are the way jesus you are the truth and you are the life we thank you lord help us lord give us understanding clarity and help us to serve you in jesus name amen